welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I'm going to continue this morning on the series I started two weeks ago, something I simply entitled, Holy, Holy. I appreciate the feedback that I got last week. It's amazing you get a bit of a plasticine out here, a rolling pin, and everyone gets it. So maybe I should do that every week, I don't know. But uh, I think it was an incredibly powerful time last week, and I want to elaborate on that a little bit more this morning as we look at this subject of being holy, holy. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you. These are strong words. You know, it's so easy to read Paul's words, and because he lived 2,000 years ago, and because he's not in your face like I am, it's so easy to like Paul. But sometimes we miss the strength of his words. Paul is saying, I urge you, come on. I want you to do something that you might not really want to do. Come on, I'm urging you. I'm willing you. I'm wanting you. I'm desiring you to do something that possibly you're not quite doing. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. I want to speak this morning about worship. And I want to speak about a worship that is pleasing to God. If you can have worship that is pleasing to God, it'd be fair to say that you can have worship that is not pleasing to Him. If you can do some things that please Him, it would be fair to say that you can do some things that don't please Him. Where does that fit in with unconditional love? Some of you might say, well, God loves us, but He can love you, but still be displeased with you. I know that because I'm a natural parent. How many of you as parents love your kids, but you've been displeased with them at times? Can you imagine a kid looking at you and saying, hey, you've got to love me. It's unconditional. It doesn't matter what I do. You would say, that's not the point. I love you as you are, but I love you enough to want to change you. And so this is about worship, but not just any old worship. This is about worship that is pleasing to God. Holy worship. This is about worship that brings God glory and honour in our lives. And in order for us to establish what holy and pleasing worship is, we need to look at what worship is. And in its purest, unadulterated form, worship is simply whatever or whoever has first place or pole position in our lives. I pride myself on breaking everything down as simple as I possibly can. And to me, I've come up with this thought that worship is simply whatever or whoever has first place or pole position in your life. In other words, every person worships something or someone. And the reason is because you and I have been created by God to worship. We've been created by God to worship Him, but if you don't worship Him, 
you worship something or someone else. Everyone has something that they put first in their lives. It doesn't matter what it is, man has been known to worship it. Whether it's people, places, animals, things, cars, homes, TVs, whatever. Some people even worship their stomachs. So what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, the de- their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomachs. Some people don't worship Buddha, they become Buddha. <laughs> and this is something we possibly all know. We can read the scriptures about worship and say, yeah, Tony, I know that. But how many of you know that but struggle to place our worship where it rightfully belongs? We know we should worship God. We know we should give Him our all. We know what the Scriptures say. If you've been a Christian, you know, six months or more, you know, you've probably heard, worship the Lord your God with all your heart. We should do that. But often we don't. All of us in this room, myself included, struggles in the area of worshipping God from time to time. How many find that to be true? Please put your hand up if you find that to be true so that I know I'm talking to some people here. And if that is true, there's a reason why that is true. What some of you may not understand is that there is a war for our worship. There is a war going on for our worship. Let me backtrack a little bit and just say this, that before you and I were created... And before human beings were created by God in His likeness, there were angels in heaven and still are that worship God around the throne. And one of those angels, an archangel by the name of Lucifer, who was known for his worship ability and worship leading, at least that's what most of the experts would agree, that Lucifer was an archangel that was responsible and in charge of the worship of God. And he had a moment where he thought he knew better. And instead of worshipping God, he turned to the dark side. Who's seen Star Wars? You've got Darth Vader, this young Jedi Knight. He's got all this power and this ability to do good, but he chooses to do bad. And there's this battle that raged within him. Remember that? And he became Darth Vader. Well, these stories that we see, Star Wars and the like, are are often pictures of of what the Bible talks about. And so we see this this archangel, Lucifer, decides he doesn't want to worship God anymore. But he redirected his worship to God or from God to himself. And in Isaiah 14, verse 12, it says, How... You have fallen from heaven, morning star. Speaking of Lucifer, son of the dawn. How you are cut down from the ground who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the far north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like Elion. 
In other words, instead of focusing his worship upon God and making it all about him, he turned it around and made it all about himself. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven and he took one third of the angels with him, which are known as demons today. And so there was this archangel that was worshipping God. He redirects the worship of God to himself and he's cast out of heaven. He brings one third of the angels down. And can I just say this? It has been his job ever since to bring others down. The desire of Satan, this fallen archangel, is to bring you down. Just like he brought one third of the angels down with him, he wants to bring you down. And he's smart. See, the devil doesn't just rock up in a little red suit with horns and a pitchfork. If that was a devil, we would know it. And we'd say, oh, you must be the devil. Get away from me. I mean, wouldn't it be easy if the devil just turned up in a little red suit? I mean, that would be easy. We'd say, ah, it's the devil. But he never turns up like that. He doesn't. He's smarter. And the way he brings us down is through you redirecting your worship off God. Now, here's the thing about the devil. He doesn't care what you worship as long as it's not God. He's not trying to get you to worship a certain thing. He's trying to stop you worshiping a certain someone. Because he knows if he can redirect your worship, he will bring you down. And that's his role. And he's clever and he's cunning. We see that in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3. It says the serpent, which was a disguise, told the woman that if you eat from this tree in the middle of the garden, you won't die. I know God has said you'll die, but you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from this tree, you will see what's really going on. You'll be just like God. The problem in the world today is we want to be just like God. We want to be our own Lord and our own master. Why do so many bad things happen in the world today if God is a God of love? Because we ignore this God of love and we become Lord and master of our own life, making decisions that bring this nation down, that bring our families down, that bring our health down. And this idea of becoming like God and becoming our own God was very appealing to Adam and to Eve in the garden. It says in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realised that what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate. Immediately the two of them did, uh, did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as a makeshift clothing for themselves. There's this desire within every one of us to want to be like God. Which in and of itself isn't a bad thing because we should be like Christ. But that redirected becomes an unhealthy thing. And we see the desire 
that Adam and Eve had to become like God was so appealing that they dishonoured God and disobeyed God and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they themselves were brought down. They were cast out of heaven. They quite literally ate themselves out of house and home. The devil doesn't show up in a red suit. He shows up in juicy looking fruit. She said, well, it does look good. And what you're saying does sound good. No, the devil didn't say, I'm the devil. <laughs> and I seek to bring you down and cast you out of heaven. <laughs> Nay. Good fruit. Some words that sound good. We've been known to worship just about anything. We worship our image. Be it going to the gym, having our teeth whitened, getting all the plastic surgery. It's all about worship. We worship our image. And when we get all that done, we're still not happy. We look for something else to nip and tuck. There are some who worship their image. There are others that worship their kids. They want to give them everything that you've never had. Some of you are spoiling your kids to death. You are robbing them of life because you're giving them Everything that you never had, they have become little idols. And your lives quite literally revolve around your kids. If they've got sport on, no church. If they've got a sniffles, no church. Some worship our jobs. It's 24-7. And we live on the phone. It's interesting. I wouldn't have said that I worship my phone, or, nor do I worship technology. But when we was in Hillsong for a day, I had my pl uh, phone plugged in because as good as iPhones may be, their battery life sucks. And so I thought I'd get as much charge as I possibly can and I'll unplug it just as I dash out the door. The trouble is, as I dashed out the door, I forgot my phone. And I'm on the train, I can't turn back now because I'm going to miss the whole day. So I said, man, I forgot my phone. I'm like, oh, so I'm cool with that. But it was amazing. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of you are like, that's ridiculous because that's not your thing. But I'm often on the phone. And you start thinking, I wonder who, and you start thinking, you give your first place pole position. We've got T.D. Jakes again. I'm thinking, I wonder if someone's texted me. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I wouldn't have said I worship technology. I wouldn't have said I worship my phone. But it's amazing how much time in my mind I gave that thing. See, everything that is ever preached from this pulpit starts, that the benefit of it starts with us getting real. Some of us say, no, I, I, don't, I don't worship my kids because I literally bow down. No, you don't have to do that to worship your kids. You've just got to give them everything they ever wanted. You've just got to let them play as much sport as they want. 
without ever challenging them. Some just worship television. Some of you, quite literally, have not missed a moment of MasterChef. But you've gone days without reading your Bible. But you have not missed a moment of MasterChef. I came back from Hillsong and someone was quite distraught. I was like, what's going on? Marion is no longer on MasterChef. I thought the building had burnt down. I thought, you know, someone's just got up and left the church. I thought something went down in the week. But Marion, our very own South Adelaide, South Australian Adelaide girl, she's out. Some of you are asleep over that. Some of you worry. Some of you prayed to God over that. Some of you are praying against Jonathan. Some of you know more about the names of the contestants in Massive than the names of God. You know what they like, you know their middle names, you know where they live, you know what they cook, you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses. Who's that? I worship God. We all worship something. So the question is who or what has pole position in your life? Is it your wife? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your sport? And all of these things are good. Nothing wrong with them. When God created a wife for for Adam, he said it is good. But it becomes bad when we give more time, affection, energy to that personal thing than we do with God. God has massive problems with that. God says, I am the Lord your God and I will not give my glory to another. So it starts with us asking ourselves, what is it that we elevate before God? It may be a little thing called comfort. Some of us worship comfort more than we worship God. And so we will worship God as long as it is comfortable. And the moment we're challenged, we worship comfort more. The moment we say no to God because it's not comfortable, we are worshiping comfort. Can you see that? And I would encourage every one of us in this room, myself included, to go and do business with God and ask, what is it that I worship? What is it that my natural tendency is? Because some of you, when I say jobs, you don't worship God, you're just downright lazy. You don't worship jobs at all. That's not your thing. But maybe it's something else. And we always have some things that we tend to go back to. And so if we're going to be worshippers, true worshippers, worshippers that please God, we need to understand our natural bent in life. Whatever we put first in our life will influence your life the most. And so if you put God first, you'll see that. If you worship your job first, you'll see that. You'll never say no to any job offer that comes. You'll take more and more jobs, more and more work, more and more promotions, more and more hours. One thing I love to do when I preach is to break things down. Because when we just use spiritual language... It's hard to know where we fit in the scheme of things, but if you break it down, you can soon find out where you fit. And the second question is this, is our worship pleasing and acceptable to God? Is what you worship and how you worship acceptable to God? With this in mind, I want to look at three things that I believe... Please God in our worship. When we worship God in these ways, I believe we will please God. And the first thing is this. When we worship with awe, 
Everyone say, or. See, some of you didn't say that because you just, you're, you're just like, you're comfort too much. You feel uncomfortable in speaking out. I'm going to push this thing. Say, or. When we worship God with awe, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, let us be thankful then because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please Him with reverence and with awe. You read in the book of Revelation, you'll see a man by the name of John who has this incredible revelation. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was possibly the closest of the 12 disciples to Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. He saw the incredible things Jesus did. He saw his hospitality and his compassion. And here he is, this man, exiled to an island of Patmos. And he has this revelation. He sees Jesus in a new light and he falls down on his face. This is a man who knew Jesus but continued to live in awe of him. When's the last time you've been awestruck by God? When's the last time you took some time in the day just to look at the sky and say, that's amazing, how great is our God? And you allow the awe and the wonder of God to break in again. Just when you're, you're leaning towards your natural bent of worshipping work or worshipping the kids or worshipping your husband or your, your, your wife or, or your comfort or whatever it is, we stop and say, hang on, I want to worship God. And we stand in awe of Him. There is a war for our awe. You know, when Jesus was in a boat one day with the disciples and he said that we would go to the other side, an incredible storm broke out. The disciples are freaking out and it was a teaching moment for the disciples. Those of us who know the word of God, where was Jesus sleeping? In the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat that's in the middle of the storm. The disciples are crying out, Jesus, don't you care that we are going to die? They were overawed by the storm. They had God with them, Emmanuel, God with us in the boat. And yet the awe of the storm outweighed the awe of the Messiah that was in the boat with them. You might be in a storm right now, but I want to tell you that storm, that moment that you are going through is trying to rob you of the awe that is deserving of the God that we serve. And they run up to Jesus and they, they just wake him up and say, don't you care? Of course Jesus cares. And then he stands up and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves. And they rev the, the disciples had this revelation. Who is this that speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him? 
And that is an incredible thing. But can I say what is more incredible? I think the disciples, had they really seen and not allowed the bigness of the storm to impact their bigness of the view of God that they had. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to calm the storm, but it's a whole nother thing for Jesus to be sleeping in the storm. I think that's the bigger miracle. And if the disciples had kept their eyes on Jesus, they would have seen the bigger miracle. But the storm crowded in on their view of God. And they took their eyes off Jesus and they looked at the storm. We see that happening over and over again. When Peter was walking on the water, Jesus said, calm. And there was Peter for a short moment in time walking on water. Yet he wasn't walking on water. He was walking on the Word of God. Jesus said, come. And he was walking on that Word. But when he took his eyes off Jesus and saw the storms, he began to sink. And you and I will always go down when we hold other things in awe. What are you holding in awe today? For some, they're in awe of cancer. They're in awe of sickness. They're in awe of these things. But our awe should be placed in Jesus. What's got your awe today? You know, I know, and I speak with all due respect to Jenny and the family who lost a loved one only a couple of weeks ago. But I refuse to allow my experience to change the word of God. Our God is a God who heals. I believe that with all of my heart. We have buried some mighty men and women of God along the way. And we've seen some incredible miracles. But where is your awe this morning? I remember when Kath fell pregnant with Mitchie. Little punk's 10 years old now. But back then it wasn't looking good. Because there's a whole heap of complications based upon what they picked up in the ultrasound. They advised us to terminate because chances are, based upon what we've picked up on the ultrasound, you're not going to like what you get. And it's these moments in our lives where we say, where are we going to place our worship? Where are we going to place our allegiance? Am I going to play God and terminate a child that I have no right to terminate? Because I want to be like God and God has that right. He gives and he takes away. And so Kath and I, with our eyes firmly focused on God, not the ultrasound, we said, we'll take what we get, Lord. We know you can heal, but we will take what we get. 
We believe that whatever happens, however he turns out, it will be for the advancement of your kingdom. We believe that you'll grace our lives to bring a child into this world that is a vegetable. Because that's what they were talking. So we will take it. And we face that moment. Who are we going to worship? Are we going to worship the doctor's diagnosis or are we going to worship our God? Mitchie was born. Yes, he was born without some fingers on his left hand. But that hasn't stopped him doing everything he's wanted to do. And because his personality is so big, it, it kind of, it's just it's a, it's a non-issue. But isn't it amazing that in the time that Mitchie's hands remained the same, we've seen people that I've prayed for healed. And I refuse to go, why didn't God heal? God has a plan. And all I do know is this, that God wants to use Mitchell's life to bring him glory. In sickness, in healing, in deformity, whatever it is. And I am totally, totally committed to that view. I refuse to allow things that don't go my way to get my worship. So no matter what you're going through today, I would encourage you to not let that circumstance or that situation to get your worship, but to worship God because he is worthy. I don't have a lot of the answers to some of your questions, but I do know God is worthy of our praise. Let's worship him in awe. Let's worship him with abandonment. The Bible says in Mark 12, to worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We see this in the man of a, name by the, a, a, a man by the name of David, who was so in love with God that he began to strip down to his underpants and he dances into the city of Jerusalem because the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, is being brought back to his hometown. Sheer abandonment. He's so in love with God. He's so got his focus on God. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. A woman who came to Jesus pours a whole year's worth of perfume on his feet and begins to wipe his feet with the hair. People are freaking out. Who is this weirdo? But she doesn't care. She's just giving her all to Jesus. Nothing matters, only God. You know what never ceases to amaze slash disappoint me? Is the concerts that are put on in this city and around Australia and around the world where people will go crazy. They will worship their rock stars and idols with sheer abandonment. Not too long ago, we had some young guy come to our nation. His name's Justin Bieber. Channel 7, Sunrise, brought him out. They did not expect what they got. They had to cancel the concert because there was thousands of screaming young people, mainly girls, that they had to cancel the concert. Here's my point. Great worship. Wrong guy. We come to church. Here's the flip side. Right guy. Pathetic worship. 
It's too loud. It's this and it. Are you kidding? Got people sheer abandonment for the wrong guy. We've got the right guy. And our worship is so lame. The Bible says that we should shout, that we should raise hands. This isn't a Pentecostal thing. It's not a young person's thing. It's a Bible thing. If you've never lifted your hands, and you don't do that because, well, I'm from the Uniting Church, or I'm from a Catholic background, or I'm of this person. It's not any of those things. The Bible says, lift your hands. The Bible says, shout for joy. It didn't say young people shout for joy. It said, God's people shout for joy. And when we know what the word of God says and we refuse not to, based upon our personality, we let our personality become our God. Now, some of us just find the sheer, this is easy, we're like, yeah, I'm there. That's cool. Maybe some of you just need to get a job. I don't know. But I want us to be well-rounded believers. And I don't care how old you are. I want us to be a Bible-believing people. Granted, we're not going to keep up with some of the young guys. You're not going to quite physically not going to be able to do what they do. But it's not about competing, comparing ourselves and competing with the young ones. It's about honoring the Word of God. I would hate to be in an accident where I lost my arms. Wouldn't you? If that ever happened, you're probably sitting there wishing, I wish I had hands to raise to my God. So I'm going to let God know every day, Lord. And thirdly, worship Him with your life. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you, it is the best thing you can do for Him. In other words, worship isn't an event. Worship is a lifestyle. And so while I I, I believe we should see some exuberant abandonment in our praise and worship in church, it's not just about getting your song on. You better get your worship on. I mean, like, it's not just about that. Worship is the way we husband our wives. Worship is seen in our kindness. Worship is seen in our honesty at work. Worship is seen in getting a job. And so it's a lifestyle, not an event. In other words, it's not limited by style or expression. And it's not limited or restricted by time or place. God is looking for worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and truth. And I love the fact that we can come together because we get the opportunity to have a band. But when I'm by myself 
and I don't have my phone because I've forgotten it, I can still worship God. I can worship him with music, I can worship him without music. I can worship him with drums, I can worship without drums. Because our worship of God should not be restricted to time or place or style or expression. Can we have our musicians come? The great thing about worshipping God is that it creates its own environment. Remember two men by the name of Paul and Silas thrown in jail after they'd been beaten severely? And they could have said, why God? After all we've done. Why us, Lord? We're, we're, we're two of the guys that are actually doing what you said. Why would we have to suffer the way? But they didn't do that. And some of you are allowing your questions of God to get in the way of your worship to Him. What I've learned is that worship creates its own atmosphere. These boys, these men, they were in the jail with lacerated backs. Their feet and hands are in stocks and chains. But they begin worshipping God. And the worship of God changed the atmosphere. The prison gates flew open. The stocks and chains fell off. Because they dared to worship God and to believe Him in spite of their circumstance, in spite of their moments. They kept their eyes on Jesus. And in their newfound freedom, I want you to get this. The prison doors are open. They could have run off and said, I'm free. But they didn't use their freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. They were free at that moment. They were free. But they did not use their freedom to indulge in what they wanted to do. They used their freedom to help others. The moment they could have run away in their newfound freedom, they hung around and helped a jailer. And they introduced him to Jesus. That's freedom. Where we are free to do whatever we want, but we choose Jesus. You're so free, you don't have to come to church every Sunday. Of course you don't, you're free. But the moment you exercise that freedom, it tugs at the heart of God. And it says, oh, But every time we have the freedom not to come to church or the freedom not to read our Bible and the freedom not to do some of the things that we should be doing, but we choose God, it warms His heart. And God enters in and God turns up and God does miracles. This whole series about us being holy, holy. I love the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners. But He's also a holy God. And we must never reduce Jesus to just a mate. Ah, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm guessing my other mates today. You're just, no, no, He's a holy God. And He's deserving and He is worthy of our praise and He's worthy of our worship. And if I have challenged you with some of the expressions that you're not partaking in based upon the Word of God, that's good. 
If I've challenged you about the way you think about your kids or your husband or your wife or the way you worship your job, that's good. It's better that we recognise it now and make adjustments. And do you know what? In a year from now, we'll have to talk about it again because we drift. To keep our heart pure. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.